Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Have you ever been in a season of your life where you were pretty certain there was no hope? Now think about it. There's, think back in a season where whatever was going on in your life, you were in one of those seasons where, man, it just wasn't good, where hope had dwindled to nothing. I had a family stop in my office a few weeks ago, and uh, when, when the couple sat down, the lady looked at me, and she had already started crying, and I said, tell me how I can help you. And she kind of worked through her tears, and she said, we quit. We've got one son in jail. We've got one daughter that's run away. Our marriage is on the rocks. We don't have a job. We don't have money. We don't know what to do. I So when, when you sit in a room like that, how do you answer that? I mean, seriously, how, how do you answer that? I had a lady after the 9.30 service, she came up to me, and I was over in the meet and greet room, and uh, if you're new around here, I'd love to meet you and put a face with a name, just turn to your right after the service and head over to the meet and greet room. But she was there, and she, first time she'd ever been here. She looked like she was maybe 63, 64 years old, something like that, and um, she was all about 5'1". And she looked up at me, she said, I just need you to tell me something. And I said, well, sure, what can I do for you? She said, my sister died this week, and I'm going this afternoon to Memorial. And she said, everybody in my family has been buried but her. And she was cremated. And she said, I, I don't know what to do with that. I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to go to a service and see an urn. I want to go see her. So I, I kind of knelt down and looked at her, and I said, sweetheart, let me, let me give you a great word here. The Bible makes a promise to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I said, let me give you this great assurance. If she were in a casket, in an urn, or a Maxwell House coffee can, as a follower of Christ, she's not there in any form. She found God in all his glory. When you go to that memorial, rest in hope. She reached up and grabbed me and just said one word, hope. Because you see, Martin Luther was right. Nothing really happens apart from hope, does it? Tomorrow doesn't have a promise without hope. A marriage on the rocks doesn't have promise without hope. Raising a baby today in our culture doesn't seem like it has hope. But I want to share with you this one thing. That's a tweetable statement that's worth grabbing hold of, and that is we have this belief that hope is an emotion. But the Bible teaches us that hope is a person found in the presence and the power of Jesus, his own son. If you have your Bibles today, find in the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, in the fifth chapter, we read a story of when hope came alive. Because at some point, I think we need to figure out, how could hope heal me? How could we, with whatever baggage we brought in this room, how would hope heal me? 
Because some of you walked into this room and you're lonely. Some of you walked in this room and you're addicted. Some of you walked in this room and you're weary. Some of you walked in this room and you're broke. Some of you walked in here with all kinds of things. Some of you walked in here with cancer. Some of you walked in here and your marriage is on the rocks or your kid is driving you crazy or you don't know how you're going to put food on the table. We all came with something to the party, didn't we? And how does Jesus deal with that when he, and how could we find hope in that? Well, it's interesting to me. I didn't know this. Did you know that there are still leper colonies in this world? On this planet, there are real live, honest goodness, leper colonies just like there were in Jesus' time. I, I met with a guy this week uh, that is a pastor from India. He, has, uh, he was 17 years old, raised in a Hindu home, and was going literally on a bicycle on an errand for his mother and saw a white man from America preaching the gospel there in his part of India. He stopped, went into the tent that they had set up, and that night chose to give his life to the Lord Jesus Christ, became a a Christ follower. At that point, he went home, and his family kicked him out of the house and said, you can't live with us if that's what you're going to claim. And so he went away with the help of this evangelist and went to a Bible school for four years, learned two different languages, and has personally been a part of planting 1,600 churches in India now. But here's where six of them are at. Six of them, you literally have to go through a trail in the jungle to get to them because they are leper colonies. And do you know what the message is to the people who travel with him to go minister to people with leprosy when they go through the jungle? Beware of the bears. Last week, two of his missionary couples literally were run off the trail by bears. And I said, what did they do? They climbed a tree. That's what we tell them to do until the bear goes away. How long were they in the tree? Almost 20 hours. And I thought the biggest problem I've got is a Wi-Fi signal. I asked him this question. I said, what cures leprosy? I didn't even know it was still around here. What cures leprosy? And you know what he said? Penicillin. And I said, well, why don't we just get him a bunch of penicillin? Shoot him up. Jack him up on penicillin. Get rid of this. What's the deal? He said, they won't take it. Why? He said, because you see, in their faith, they believe what they're living is their karma that they have earned and deserve no hope. And he said, so when I go into that leper colony, I'm the only hope they hear. And we started a church, he said, in each of those six leper colonies. And when people come to faith in Christ, they start taking that penicillin and find themselves healed. There's a man in the time of Jesus, when he walked on this planet, he was out working in the field, and his wife and his daughter were back in their small home. And, and while he was working in the field, he got toward the end of the day. It was time for dinner, and he came into the house, and he started washing his hands. And he noticed on his right hand two or three white sores had come up. And at dinner, when he was breaking the bread and blessing the bread for them to eat, his wife said, sweetie, what is that on your hand? He said, I don't know. I must have scuffed it up working in the field. And the next day, it grew, and it became up to his elbows. And the wife got concerned, and she said, you need to go see the priest because, you see, at that time, the priest was the one who could declare that you were unclean or clean. You, he was the one that wasn't just a spiritual healer. He was also the one that could tell you you were physically worthless. By day four, it had gone up both arms, covering his chest, and he went to the priest, and he walked into the priest and showed him and took his robe off, and the priest looked at those sores now bleeding 
from his body, and he said, you've got to go away and quarantine for two weeks. In the end of two weeks, I'll declare if you have leprosy or not. And so he went away into a cave where he could be with nobody and no light, and he lived in that cave. And literally, what would happen, his wife and his daughter would bring food to the front of the cave. And on the way, they would say, retreat to the end, a retreat to the end. And he would have to go back, and they would leave him bread and water. And he would hear his daughter from, as he stood from the back of the cave, I love you, Daddy. And they would leave, and he would come eat. And after two weeks, he came back to the priest. And the priest looked at him and said, you are unclean. And if you really want to know what that word means, it's not that you are dirty. In biblical times, when you unpack that term, what the priest was saying is, you are now worthless. You are worth nothing. So when the man of God looks at you and says, you are worthless, you have arrived at the bottom of the barrel. After Thanksgiving, you probably put your leftovers in bags and tins like we did, and you put them in the in their fridge. And there's always that one meal that like Aunt Mabel made that's just funky, and nobody ate because they really don't think Aunt Mabel's all there. You know what I'm saying? And you had to save it because she was hanging around helping you clean up. And then when you needed more room, you pulled out that meal, and it was like gross. What'd you do with it? You threw it away. And if it was in a Tupperware canister, you know what you do? You threw the canister away too because it now made it worthless. And you know what you did? You washed your hands because Aunt Mabel's weird. And what she made was worthless, and you got rid of it. And that's what the priest said that this guy was, worthless, good for nothing, willing to be thrown away. So the priest says to him, you've got to go to the leper colony inside the gate. And he said, well, I understand. I I know that's what I've got to do, but let me go say goodbye to my wife. She doesn't know where the important things are, and I need to make sure she's set. He said, no, you can't do that. He said, but I've got to hug my daughter one more time. You can't do it. You've got to go. So they shove him in the leper colony. And for weeks and weeks, maybe months, every day, his little girl and his wife would bring food and water and a little note. And they'd wave and say, we love you, Daddy, from about a football field away. And he'd come get that food. But by the end of about a year, that leprosy had begun to eat his skin away. And his extremities literally started falling off. Fingers toes, ears, nose. And his wife and that little girl couldn't bear to see it anymore, and the food and the water and the notes stopped driving. And hope had ended. And in that leper colony, he had determined, this is where I'll die. Alone and weary and sick and worthless with no hope. But in Luke chapter 5, Beginning in verse 12, here's what we read. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You see, do you know that there were more instances recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of Jesus healing leprosy than any other miracles recorded. Because, you see, leprosy is a picture of not just a physical ailment. 
it is a picture of a spiritual death, one that starts slow but ends in death. And so when Jesus sees this man and he comes to Jesus, his first words to him is this, Lord. You know, God makes a promise in the Scriptures that says, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. You say, well, saved from what? Well, in his case, it was pretty simple. Will you get rid of this leprosy? For you, it might be, will you get rid of this loneliness? Will you get rid of this addiction? Will you get rid of this no job anymore? Will you get rid of me not being able to meet my bills? Will you get rid of I don't have any friends? We all brought some form of leprosy in, didn't we? You see, he got the first word right, Lord. And then he asked something that I found amazing. If you're willing to do this, would you? But I want you to understand, for him to approach Jesus, had to, he had to go against every norm of the day. Because what the law said was, you are worthless. You as a human are good for nothing. You are scum. You are bottom of the barrel. You are the worst of the worst. There's no place for you. And if you show yourself in public, you must scream, unclean, unclean, unclean. And as you scream that, people who are not sick, people who are not worthless anymore, scatter like you kicked an ant pile and leave. And when he cried, unclean, 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 everybody left but one. And the one that stayed, he said, Lord. The one who promised to never leave you, never betray you, never ever leave you alone, he stayed. And what did he say? Lord. Then look in verse 13 at what happens. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, that sounds like a cute story, but I want you to see the value of two things that happen here. Jesus does something that is amazing. Three animated actions, very tangible things happen to this man that ought to happen in our life if we're going to have hope. The first thing that happens is this. He didn't leave. He didn't seem as worthless. He was filled with hope. You see, here's the beauty of why we celebrate, celebrate Advent and Christmas. The Christ who came and was laid in a manger is the same Christ that performs this miracle that dies on a cross and raises from the dead that you might have hope when you call, Lord, will you? Are you willing to? And what was his answer? Yes, I'll stay. I'll stick closer than a brother. You can count on me. So number one, he stayed. But number two, look what he did. He reached out and touched this man. Now you see, any rabbi in that time would have known this is not good. He would break every rule. The man with leprosy would and the rabbi would. The rabbi should have fleed and told him, you're worthless. But Jesus, who began his ministry as a rabbi, did this one powerful thing. He reached out and touched this man. And then what did he do? Then he healed him. You say, well, I don't understand. That's just a semantic, Chuck. No, I believe Scripture was inspired in such a way that what happened here literally was the word touched is not that he just reached out and touched it. Come here, Ginger. This is what we think when you say touch. We think we do this. Ooh. Ooh. Now, maybe we think of touch like pat on the head. Scratch on the chin, pinch the cheek, right? Thank you, Ginger. But you see, that's not what the word touched means. Jesus standing alone with this man with skin oozing 
with blood and grossness, with fingers that have already fallen off and facial recognition was gone because of this disease. Scripture says Jesus didn't reach out and dot him. Scripture teaches he wrapped his arms around him and all of his grossness and all of his unworthiness and all of his worthlessness and all of his sin and he grabbed and bear hugged him and all that grossness was up against him and then he said be healed. You know what Scripture promises Jesus does for you? That in the middle of our sin, He came and gave Himself for us. He didn't say, clean up, look a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way, give up a certain thing. He said, when you are there and you call, Lord, I will take my arms and I will wrap you around you and I will pull you tight in all your sin and all your worthlessness and all your weariness and all your loneliness and I will heal you because I am the Son of God. And for some of us today, the hope we need is that He would wrap His arms around us. Do you notice He touched Him before He healed Him Miss Betty sitting right down here. For about five weeks, she's come up and hugged my neck every Sunday. And she whispers in my ear this one thing. This is a hug straight from God to you. Miss Betty, you're a joy to me. You bless me. Listen to me. I believe when Jesus wrapped his arm around this man, God in the presence of Jesus smiled and said, come here, I've got you. I love you. You know, I've noticed suffering people find their way to Christ, don't they? Hurting people find their way to Christ. You know, it's rare when you find somebody who's got all the money they need, have no health problems, live in a beautiful home, drive a great car, everything's good. It's rare when you see those people get it. You know why? Because we find ourselves totally self-dependent, like we are self-made people. But the fact is, we all suffer from something, don't we? We all bring something to the party. Jesus longs to touch the deepest, darkest, most sinful, suffering, lonely, angry parts of our soul that might desperately need to be redeemed and restored and rescued with hope. Whatever that thing is that's way down deep in your soul that you simply are hiding from everybody. Maybe it's that one sin. Maybe it's that one action. Maybe it's that one lust. Maybe it's that one thing that just you don't want anybody to know. Jesus longs to reach down deep in your soul, wrap you up and say, I want to bring healing to you because that's his promise of hope. At this Advent, Jesus came in that manger so that he could bring you hope in 2014. If you ever doubt the heart of God, all you have to do is read the Gospels. Jesus saw a mother with her son in a casket, stopped and said, what are you doing? I'm going to go bury my son. And Jesus taps on the casket and says, wake up. And he did. In a crowd, he reaches through and touches a woman and she's healed. And a woman walks through a crowd and touches his garment and she's healed. At one point, four guys lower a dude down through the roof and Jesus says 
Would you like your sins forgiven? Yes, your sins are forgiven. All the religious people freaked out. Seriously, it's like the deacons and elders went crazy. You can't do that. And then Jesus said, okay, watch this. Get up and walk. And dude gets up and walks. And can you imagine? God in the presence of Jesus goes, cool, huh? Look at that. Don't you want Jesus to do that in your life, whatever it is, to bring hope? You see, God has come, Emmanuel, not past tense, not, not future tense, present tense, God with us. You know what God brings? You know what Jesus brings? Hope. Hope. Why do you celebrate Christmas? Hope. And you know what's interesting? Hope is not found in so many things that we believe it, it's found in. It's not found in a sleigh. It's not found in a tree. It's not found in a present. It's not found in a carol. It's founded in the one thing that Christmas began with, Jesus, that he might bring you hope. The greatest act of forgiveness in the world is the fact that hope spread his arms out wide and had them nailed to a cross. Allow his feet to be nailed to a cross. Allowed a spear to pierce his side so that hope would die to pay for all of our junk. Whatever that is, is deep down in your soul that he wants to wrap you up and forgive you with and heal you so you're not unclean. And hope laid dead in the tomb three days. And seriously, hope was gone. But on that third day, hope arose. Hope stood up and shook off burial claws. Hope walked to the front of that tomb and moved that stone. Hope walked out of the grave and said, fear not, I'm here, you have hope. And I would say to you, friend, hope has come. Our king is here. There was a season in my life where I, I felt what hopelessness is like. I'm guessing some of you have too. Over a four-year period, my, my wife had passed away. My dad had passed away. My mom had passed away. And truly, I thought, what? God, could you just go build character in somebody else for a while? I'm just kind of sick and tired of you working on me. Clearly, he wasn't done yet. And about two years after my wife passed away, he gave me the gift of Jenny. I mean, he wrapped her up in this cool bow, and he put her right in front of me, and he said, I love you. Look at how cool is this. Look, look, she loves you. There you are. And yeah, we, I said, will you? And she said, sure. And that's been almost eight years ago. And man, we've had some seasons that have been pure hell in our life. After all that death and all that sorrow and after all that pain, we blended six daughters. Dear God, six daughters. And I promise you, it was a season that was like no other. 
But doing what I do, I put my face on and I marched up here and I preached about hope and I preached about trust. And every time I did, let me tell you, I was the biggest hypocrite on the planet because in the season of that, the next thing that happened, we lost everything we owned when the market fell apart. Now, you, you may be saying, oh, well, yeah, you, you recovered. The, no, we lost everything. I was trying to work from home one day, and I had gotten to the point that I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I had so little hope, I was just done. And I determined that day I will take my own life because I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. A friend of mine had given me a nine millimeter handgun, and I determined I'm tired of this. So I decided I'm going to do something about being sick and tired. Until the Lord spoke this one thing into my life. How dare you? I gave you the gift of a woman that loves you unconditionally. I've now given you not just two girls, but six girls. One day, you're going to hold your little grandchild. And I said, well, Lord, then you better do something amazing. Because if that's going to happen, you, you, be, you better do something because I have no hope. And through all that series of events, somehow this church was foolish enough to let me become her pastor. And every day I get to live life with the gift that God gave me called Jenny. And I play with my little grandson, William, on the floor with tractors. And I held my little granddaughter today as we committed her to the Lord. God is faithful to bring you hope when you call on the name of the Lord. And I tell you that today because I know for a fact people came in this room without hope. And if you're looking for hope, this is what the Bible says you do. Lord, I need you. And he is faithful and just to hear you in the middle of your mess to wrap you up in his arms and call you his own. And you are no longer worthless. You are a child and heir of the king, King Jesus, who spread his arms and gave his life that you might have hope. Father, today, I pray as people in this room may search for hope in this Advent season that it wouldn't be found in a nativity scene or a tree, not found in a jolly old fellow's sleigh or a present given or received, but found in the hope of glory and in the power and the person and the presence of Jesus who you gave to us that we might have life abundant life eternal, and life with hope. 
God, I pray right now there would be people who would simply say, Lord, I need you. And I accept the fact that you died for me and rose from the grave to pay for my sin. If that's your heart's desire, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, nobody's looking around. Just kind of quietly slip your hand up so I can pray for you today. Amen. 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 Thank you. Father, for for the eight or ten folks in this room that said, that's me, I pray you give them courage to take the next step and to follow you and to live for you. And God, today, I pray you give us hope. The recognition that literally your blood that you shed washes over us and cleanses us, that we are no longer unclean, we are no longer not worthy, but we are now clean. We are white as snow before you. And we become children that you inherit and adopt into your kingdom and into your glory. Thank you for that. For nothing but the power and the blood of Jesus, we are so grateful for.